Hear me? Yeah, no, all loud and clear. No delays or anything like that. Oh, thank God. That was a pain last time. But oh, welcome. no, it, it, it were an absolute fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, I won't say yeah, any more details about that, but it should not have been the case, let's say. Um, so, John, you're back. You're back, you're back. To talk about, <clears throat> I guess, the indestructibility of heavy metal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, right? right? Let's summarize it by saying that. So, what have you got to say about that? I guess I could say that if you were to compare that to other musical forms that emerged since, well, whenever youth culture, whenever pop culture emerged, right around the 1950s, uh, it's always had a core set of values. It's always, and we, we touched on this in the last stream we did to some extent, Um when it emerged in the 70s, the early 70s, pioneered by the likes of Black Sabbath and then what became the proto-metal, I don't know whether we could call it a movement, whether you could call it just a cluster of various acts in the 70s, then it continued along with a lot of the values and themes and ideas that were espoused by the prog rock movement, ideas of high fantasy, ideas of mysticism, ideas of romanticism, the occult and the macabre, and uh, what became heavy metal and became underground metal on from that, more or less continued that, developed it in accordance to new and emergent trends within contemporary music. And it's, to me at least, maybe some will agree, some others won't agree, it's been that one outlier genre in the whole cluster of what some people would call pop music where it's the last genre which people would try to compromise. It's the last outlier where people would try to just say, how can we commercialize this stuff? Yes, but they have sort of, and they have certainly tried for a while. Um, I'm hearing an echo, but maybe, oh, is it gone? No, this has happened the last few times where I hear an echo and it goes away, so don't, Pay no attention to what I just said. Um, no problem. But yeah, it's sort of like um, like the indestructibility of it is pers like me being, I'm older than you. So I remember like the heyday of it. And I remember kind of becoming confused and fuddled and vanishing a little bit under the new metal, which was just a farce. But that was, it was compromised then, let's say. And, but then I, I noticed through the years going along that you'd still see the same kind of kids going around and they would look exactly the same. And to this day, they look exactly the same as they did when I was young. You know what I mean? Like they did not change really. The really good core ones, the uh, non the non poserish ones, that it never changed and it never went away. So that was what my specul. This is what I noticed about it as a in one in, as a trend in music because everything else did change. And like certain types of metal kind of morphed and evolved. Usually, as you say, well, they usually got hijacked and changed into something terrible. <laughs> Well, but I'll jump in there. There was, always that say, core, there, was, there was always that core that was unchanging through the whole thing. And to this day, they're still there. And it's not common. I don't know. Maybe there's other ones that you can point to that are unchanged. That you could find some examples that are unchanged. I mean, you, you, just, you just brought something up there. And uh, it's quite interesting because there was a brief online discussion that was in recently. And it's about um, 
certain Irish boomer metalheads and uh, <laughs> right, 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 right. ones who had more or less lost touch with where things had gone after the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And these people would be commenting on threads. Um, now, my friend who brought this up, he'd be, you know, he'd very much have the look, uh, the appearance of somebody who's really into a lot of underground heavy metal, thrash metal, that kind of stuff. And, do, I know, uh, do I know this guy? You do. Okay. I believe okay. you okay. may do. That there okay. is a possibility okay. of that. Okay. Okay. But um, you'd be getting these uh, boomer comments on Facebook threads, and yeah, maybe they're a waste of time in a certain respect. But these uh, guys who are now in the fifties, they'd have this very ridiculous kind of spinal tap approach, where oh, look at these kids. Oh, they're wearing bullet belts. They're wearing they're wearing denim jackets. They're full of patches. They look like billboards. Oh, uh, it, it, it's like they take themselves too seriously, and so it's as if they're going for this very spinal tap approach. Where if somebody young, who's enthusiastic, who loves uh -huh. this music in some way, and does so, and there's at least a, an iota of non irony about their sincerity for being into that, then some of these people see that as a, a reason that uh, to, to mock it or be against it, and um, really, really, yeah, See, I didn't, I didn't, this is news to me. I didn't know that there was a phenomenon of uh, boomers doing that. Um, you know, I'm almost getting in towards being that type of age bracket, I guess. But I mean, I'm not not technically a boomer is somebody. The real boomers are, I mean, what are they in their nineties or something? <laughs> but anybody who's old now is a boomer. Anybody over anybody in their fifties, I guess, becomes a boomer now. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that they were doing that. Uh, why would they? Are they sort of jealous or something? Or why would they? Maybe, may, maybe they could be jealous. But maybe also, uh, uh, I think we touched on this in last stream. Um, we spoke about how how do you make metal appeal to normies? And uh, even th there might be normies, for example, who love beauty. They love heroism. They love these romantic ideals, which. Are sometimes sought in underground metal and heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when they listen to it aesthetically, they're a little bit put off. And the one thing that's uh, not getting them to do that next few nine yards is they aren't trying. Uh, but there is also the issue that with any form of music emerged from what we could call pop culture, that yeah. uh, some of these people who were claimed to be really into this stuff or were to an extent into this stuff like many other people to them this was just a phase and right. Right. to right. grow up or to otherwise have children to raise a family or right. do something which meant social acceptability from yes. a peer group meant oh you you have to negate listening to this stuff or outwardly stating that you like this stuff for a bit of social capital yes i i think that 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 could be a bit of a, a contributing factor as well. I don't it know is. what you think. No, I agree. And I forgot about that. Um, but that, yes, I, I remember experiencing that with friends of mine through the long march, the slow march through the years. <laughs> but usually I would associate that with guys um, who became like whipped basically by women <laughs> who convinced yeah. them that it was juvenile to listen to anything other than, you know, top 40 or I don't know, God knows what. And I'll bring something in there actually, because the the idea of oh guys got whipped and they, they got a girlfriend and they realised oh 
if I'm going to stay with her, uh, I'm I better stop listening to this. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, in some respects, if you want to win a woman's heart, then uh, you've got to attract her to the things you like. You've not got to become her. But oh. also, yeah. I do yeah. remember, I do recall talk, going to gigs in Dublin in the past 10 years, and you'd get some non-Irish people won't know the term culture exactly, I'll explain it, but a culture would be what you could mildly call a redneck or somebody who's from the sticks or not from the big towns or cities. They'd come to some of these gigs and uh, you'd maybe get into a bit of a smoking room conversation and you'd hear one of them say, oh, sure, I, have the, I have the girlfriend here, but oh, sure, she can't stand the metal, boy. Ah, oh, no, she just can't be into it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. they'd they'd kind of use their being into it as a mitigating factor that was obstructing the relationship. I don't know, maybe like uh, I, I don't know if you were a sports fan or something. You had a girlfriend or a wife, and they're saying, "Hey, well, it's me or the season ticket," and they treat it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely um, true. So that is a factor as well. Yes, it's always the <laughs> you, you you said you have you can't be yeah you can't be. Guys that get whipped like that, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, I don't know how they stay married, to be honest, because if they're just sort of these hound dog slaves, like, how do they maintain a marriage? I don't even know, like, going around. But I, I, noticed, I noticed that many a time, and mostly it was that kind of thing. But there, there are people who also, just right out of the gate, when they think, I'm going to be an adult, I'm going to be a successful person, I must stop doing juvenile things. So things that they enjoyed when they were young, maybe they think, oh, I'm going to leave this behind. I mean, metal is one of those things... It's a useful, I mean, is it useful? I mean, like, I'm getting quite old and I still listen to it the same as I did before, but it's got a useful, energetic appeal, I guess. And it, I can see how they could see it has trappings that they feel they should leave behind because they, you know, they're business people now or they've gone corporate or something. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that's part of it. But there's still the indestructibility factor. And even in their hearts, you and I know those guys would give them the right chance, you know, be down to listen to anything and have a good time. Right, if the wife isn't around or whatever. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, hundred and twenty percent. So yeah, um, there's that. Uh, what else can we say about it? <laughs> um, it's unchanging. So, what do you think about? You were saying that it can't be corrupted, and through the years, it has obviously had certain corruptions. But yet the true stuff kind of stayed um, going in its way and popular, and the style never really changed. The true style of like a true metalhead it was kind of always the same as well. So, yeah, uh, pretty much. Even the uh, dark period, like in the early, the, the darkest period was that when it first kind of faded and became like grunge and new metal. Then it was like you were like the passe person if you're still going around with your bullet belt or whatever, right? But that kind of it was only in the immediate say decade. You know what I mean? Where it was like, oh, you're like, uh, you know, it, it'd be like conversion to Christianity and like, oh, this guy's still a pagan <laughs> kind of thing. Like it's it was a passe for about 10 years, let's say. Um, even then, not really, because it's, it's so obviously it's so viscerally, savagely um, its own integral thing that you can't mess with. But that, that was the, that was the darkest period, I think, when it first that first little dalliance with the new metal and all that shit, terrible music. Uh, well, like I said, I kept noticing that. Oh, there's another one. Like I keep seeing. I just in daily life, going around the city or whatever, I keep seeing them, and they looked exact, and they were always be the same. So I noticed it was still the heart of it was still going somehow, somewhere. Well, I definitely agree with you that by if you're talking about 
mainstream heavy metal and things that dominated what people called mainstream heavy metal throughout, I don't know, the late 70s, throughout the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, that was Dio, whether that was uh, Black Sabbath, whether that was Iron Maiden or Judas Priest. Um, that that sort of, and, and then even the more materialistic part of it, like Glam and Motley Crue and more kind of trivial stuff like Poison and all that kind of stuff dominated the 1980s that kind of acquiesced to this you know the emergence of the seattle scene grunge and uh i definitely say with the emergence of these like uh let's say the junkie christ kurt cobain that um you kind of had this uh period of dumbing down where what uh you could call heavy metal what you could call hard rock or anything affiliated with that as an umbrella term became more subjective. I mean, it was by 1991. I did a big kind of essay article on this, by the way, about Metallica on excusetheblood.org. And it was about, I wrote about the decline of Metallica as a musical entity. I wrote yeah. about the decline of the musical content uh, and the vitality of the music and also the lyrical parts and by the yeah. black album by 91 that came at a critical point where grunge was also becoming this big stakeholder in the mainstream music scene and then gradually after that then you have the also it coincides with the emergence of these kind of very bro sounding bands like biohazard <laughs> pantera all this oh, kind of stuff bro sounding and, yeah that's good yeah. i i i mean for some people, like well, I don't know, let's say you go into a bar now and uh, I don't want to bash people indivi as individuals who are into, I don't know, say stuff like Pantera or Biohazard or maybe yeah. even modern bands like Disturbed, but they will have this idea in their head that uh, what they consider to be really cream of the crop, hardcore, brutal music will be Disturbed, uh, Pantera or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Day biohazard, and yeah. that would be because it sounds tough, it sounds angry, yeah, uh, uh, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. It's street level, what what have you? And to a lot of people, especially if you were somebody who liked metal in the eighties, you liked thrash, you liked speed metal, but you were also getting into the uh, emergent black and death metal scenes which were emerging in the early 1990s, then these bands would have been s seen as utter cop-outs. They mm. were acquiescing to, let's just say, commercial the emergence of MTV culture was getting much more popular, much more predominant in mainstream subconsciousness. Yeah. And then yeah. you had all of these ideas like these dumbing downs, these dilutions like alt metal or alternative metal, where all of a sudden you had bands, maybe even bands who were prominent in the 80s, who were acquiescing in the mainstream and thinking, oh, maybe we should uh, integrate some rap influences. Maybe we should do some nice ballads or something. And yeah, that's kind of led to something down the line where the late 90s, early 2000s, you had new metal. And then that's strangely led to this kind of emo phase with the mid to late 2000s. And yeah. now I, I can't really track trends too well. The underground metal's always been there. There's 
ever I mean, in the last decade, there has been a reemergence of traditional heavy metal, and some people would call that the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Uh, but there has been since the '90s, I'd say, quite yeah. a lot of what you might want to call hipster entryism. Yeah, 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 hipsters. <laughs> yes, the hipster entryism. Yes, it's a real, definitely a scourge. Yeah, because they just sort of see, they are the people that see things superficially, symbolically, and they may think it's cool or that it should be cool to them, but they don't really get it. Like they would laugh ironically at Manowar or something like that. You know what I mean? But they would. They're, 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 they don't have the right kind of soul for this music and they do they invent their own genres of it which is all just kind of symbolic nothingness like math rock and they have all these, they make they make up terms for them and stuff you know what i mean like and they they get lost in these little circles like that you were talking about your like that article you wrote about Metall metallica that was a while ago that now but that was a good one and your picture for the your picture for the article was perfect because it showed that that liner <laughs> where uh it was um lars lars and um Kirk had decided to, they're obviously influenced by like fucking um, red hot chili peppers or something like that. They look like they're, their hair is kind of shorter, but they're wearing like mascara and they yeah. just basically, they look like they're like edgy homosexuals or something. Like it's totally yeah. unmetallica and every pot, their hair is all short and they're wearing makeup basically. Well, so, I mean, I, I mean, around that point when they did the album Load, they yeah. had the same, uh, the photographer for that album was Anton Corbin. Belgian guy, I think, or Dutch guy, I forget the nationality, but he uh, did a lot of photography for Depeche Mode in the 90s, and <laughs> if you remember any stuff like that, they always yeah. had this obsession with looking very uh, sexually ambiguous and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, in a sort of edgy way, and I kind of also realized um, I was looking um, – through backtracking through the discography of uh, an English band, Paradise Lost. I don't know oh, if you knew, know of them. No, I don't. No, I don't really but um, they were kind of, they started out as a prominent death doom metal band and they became like what you'd call the pioneers of gothic metal. They were very good right. during the early to mid 90s. But by right. the late 90s, they were integrating certain like synth pop influences. And around the same time, this is roughly coalescing with the same era that Metallica re released Load and the likes of Depeche Mode were releasing albums like uh, Ultra, that they were going for this. They they were clearly... Is that when, is that when uh, Depeche Mode was getting more rocky and they were doing like more rockers? Yeah, rocker yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. They were merging into one... But it, it was kind of... They, they were putting on this sort of image where they were trying to look really dark and super gothic, but really they were really at the kind of heights of being mainstream at the same time yeah yeah, yeah they yeah, all yeah. seem to have around that same point a similarly tailored image which yeah, yeah. you know it was yeah. more a product of the music industry than it was the the individual bands yeah so yeah, you figured it was all it was all purposely manufactured and that that is the downfall of metallica was they were became famous and they were manipulated by their managers you think Maybe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you look into the Black Album, and I, I mean, obviously they had their own, no one's saying they didn't write their own songs and that sort of stuff, but yeah. um, I think it was through, they had said, uh, and they said it in a lot of documentaries, you know, 
after we did our first four albums, we felt we'd exhausted all of our creative sensibilities in making epic songs and making progressive compositions. And of course, you know, you're probably familiar with an album like And Justice For All. There's lots and lots of riffs chopped into each of the songs. Yes. Uh, but they did say, where else can we go from here? Um, but there was uh, they, that album, uh, the Black Album, that got produced by somebody called Bob Rock. And yeah, I think it was yeah. him who apparently encouraged them to go in this more mainstream kind of boogie rock direction. And you kind of hear the wah-wah pedals on some songs. And yeah, you kind of yeah. know, right, they've left speed metal behind almost completely. Yeah, Where will yeah. they go from here? And then when you hear something like Load, then that's kind of, it's even more compromised. Oh, well, I remember that like when it happened. So I remember the Black Album, and I was a big fan of them already. So I immediately knew that they'd sold out. It was like I remember buying it and like and listening to it and like ah. Oh. But what I wasn't expected for was its amazing popularity. They were already kind of popular at that point, just if we're being their pure speed metal. But they'd um, that's when I noticed um, this is back in Canada, like the 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 hockey players singing uh, Enter Sandman in the in the locker room. You know what I mean? They weren't the jocks were not the type to really be into uh, Justice for All. Let's say. So I, I knew it was over, and they were like, "Oh shit, this is all this is all terrible now." Um, I know that um, some. But it was it was immensely popular. I just want to say it was like it was amazingly popular. Like, I did I didn't I didn't grow up during that point, but uh, when people always mention about that period, that commercial transition of Metallica, yeah. uh, I'm going to just bring another parallel in. But you know yeah. when people talk about the Velvet Underground in the 60s and they talk about the relative unpopularity of the Velvet Underground in their time? Okay. And th th there's always this apparent myth about when the Velvet Underground were a factory band under Andy Warhol's wing that mm -hmm. for every record they sold, as measly as it apparently was in its time, yeah. they uh, one band would apparently start. However, strangely, in another turn with Metallica, that for uh, ever apparently there was some documentary. I forgot when I saw it. It was years ago. But for every um, album that got sold, the Black Album, apparently one or two more jocks would end up listening to it. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden... Yeah a band which was playing a niche type of music, which was, I don't know, confined to people who might be seen in a certain respect as social misfits, outcasts, or maybe nerds, uh, that all of a sudden be became just this acceptable thing. No, I wasn't, I wouldn't say there were, I wouldn't say it was nerdish. That's for sure. Not back then, maybe afterwards when it became like a niche hobbyist thing. And even now you might call them nerds, even though they're not generally. Um, but back, you know, they're sort of, they're not like a true nerd is like somebody who plays video games all day and like, you know, it's just a wretch. But, um, back then it was at least what I recall, I'm where I was, it was, there was the jocks and there was the, they were called skids then, <laughs> which in specifically where I grew up, which were the rockers basically, but they weren't, um, you know, they'd be getting the chicks and they'd be having parties and there'd be muscle cars and stuff. It wasn't like a nerdy scene, I wouldn't say. It was like still the spirit of the 70s rock and hard rock was just kind of still there 
in a sort of natural patriarchal way, let's say, <laughs> of sort re rebellious patriarchal way. One thing, I, one another thing I want to say about um, the Enter Sandman period, though, is I remember seeing, not not that I don't agree with you that they were manipulated and the whole thing was manufactured, but I do recall seeing uh, interviews around the time, and it was like I think it was James Hetfield saying, "Oh, everyone's going to blame Bob Rock for this, but this is this is us. We've decided to do this." I remember him like being very explicit about that, whether he was pressured to or not. And I do remember it was more, it wasn't really till then. The grunge didn't come out at that time. I, that, not that I recall. Maybe it did, but it wasn't so popular. What? It, it, was, was, more, it, was, it was more around the area of the, of the load was the one that came after, right? After Nature's Edmund, right? That was, yeah. I believe that, that was definitely them trying to emulate the whole kind of grungy um, emo kind of thing. Well, that's when, they, that's when they didn't seem to have any of their own creativity and they were just trying to mimic other popular bands. Well, Load came out in 1996, and oh, uh, yeah. Black Album came out in 1991, and I'm pretty sure that's the very same year that you have, well, uh, maybe albums, is it 10 by Pearl Jam? Uh, Soundgarden were already established by that point. Uh, Nevermind, I think, was out that year. That was also the same year that uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit got released as a single, so... That's why hmm. I always point to that little period being a big transition point. Well, maybe I don't remember it right then. Yeah, okay. So they were around at that point. I just didn't think, I didn't get the impression they were trying to mimic them so much on that album as they were on the next one. And ever since, ever since they didn't really know what to do with themselves, they were just trying to like imitate something popular or find themselves again. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I wouldn't, I, I didn't at any point say that Metallica were trying to mimic grunge or they, did mimic grunge in the early 90s around black album but okay. they definitely in my view there was a certain let's say dumbing down a transition around that point yeah where the music became a lot more subjective and it ran in line with the emergence of things like grunge or things like what you might call alt metal the emergence of bands like jane's addiction or faith no more yeah. on the right. mainstream right. and yeah, then yeah. Yeah. the bro stuff that we just the mentioned bro, before. The bro stuff, yeah, the bro stuff. I remember liking the bro stuff. Not all of it, but I remember liking Pantera at first. And even now I might have a certain small amount of time for it, but I know I can see that it is the beginning of the, the bro stuff. The, the saggy saggy skater shorts and the, uh, you know, I, I have so much integrity <laughs> kind of crap. But it was like, they left all they left all the fun stuff, the sword and sorcery, you know, the vistas and the... They didn't, they didn't leave the technical part behind, but they... They were that's 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 what led into the new metal, which was just hopeless and just just terrible. And that's when they, that's when everything kind of fell apart and nobody knew what to do. It was like, oh, it's all over. It's like those things, like when the sixties ended and, and all the hippies were like, oh, so they're selling, as they say in, uh, is it wet nail and I? Is like you can yeah, buy hippie wigs at, at uh, you can buy you can buy a hippie wig now at Woolworths. That guy who's the big drug dealer guy, Danny. He's like, it's, he's like, yeah, he's like, it's over. It's over. You can buy a hippie wig at Woolworths. It's over. <laughs> Once it's commodified, and what it's you know, it's over. But yeah. this, this is this is what we're here to say is that it it didn't end and it never went away, and you don't see so much those bro guys now. I mean, you don't see these new metal guys. I don't see them, but I still will see the odd like old school metal kid, you know? Oh yeah, and, like oh, yeah. looking yeah. traditional, traditional, a trad metal kid, <laughs> like jeans, leather, you know, bullets, studs, patches, the whole thing. So it never yeah, went I mean that's a sort of proof yeah, that it's not being diluted in many ways, or that it's just always something that you okay. 
it's going to be there and you can't really um well i don't know where to go on that. well <laughs> you can it's it's harder to you won't have the it's harder to be a man of war or an iron maiden these days and be successful i think you don't hear about these new bands they don't get the, they're not going to become a giant worldwide phenomenon like they were without the former they got that sort of they got a certain level of support in radio play not that not that they were manufactured to do so like normal but because they were forced to from a kind of um what's the term like a groundswell roots uh whatever you know they were forced to, to uh, be played and forced to become even more famous and they became you know they're still enormous bands these days the ones that are still alive most of them i think a lot of them are still going in one form or another but it's harder now i don't think you know they don't get any radio not that i mean who no you do hear radio stuff i guess when you go around town you hear this top 40 kind of uh twerky shite everywhere right you don't hear it so there's kind of radios still going but now with the internet everyone's very selective about what they listen to so it's just like people get more and more entrenched in their various oeuvres Mm. Um, what's my point? What am I? I'm getting lost in my rambling here. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, but the yeah, so it's harder for them to get a another giant. I don't. I don't know. You're more in touch with new bands than I would be. You and you know those other all those guys. They and there's some new bands I get shown which I do like, and they're good. I don't know if they're as good as like a classic era band. Well, what do you think? Is there many? Is there any new new bands playing in a in a trad metal way that are you think are very good? Or? Yeah, one that just came to mind. There's a German band called Atlantean Codex who oh. are really really good. Yeah, and um, they are like like their compositions are very over the top epic. And, yeah. Um, yeah. They, and their, album, their album art is the most. Their amazing album art is beautiful. It's unbelievable it's complexity. Like. Uh, um, their lyricism is brilliant as well. Um, they kind of have all the epic qualities which you would expect from the best material by Manowar or Manila Road. Uh, all of the high falsettos you'd expect from somebody like uh, Eric Adams or Ian Gillen appears on their songs. Uh, beautiful monumental riffs and uh, interludes and breaks. Yeah, they, they've got a lot of qualities of what makes uh, traditional heavy metal brilliant. It's why people would like to listen to that sort of music. And so would you I think say, it, they I think it kind of brings up all the, let's just say, if people want to talk about metal as a genre of values and traditions and romanticism, then they would be one band who really epitomize that in the modern age. Yeah, they are. Okay, yeah. That's, that's... But they're not. You, they're, they don't have the superstar status, and they probably never will. Will they? No, like, no. You and I know about them, and a few others. But you know, are they even? Do they even make a living out of it? I, I wonder. They probably have to have day jobs and stuff. I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, one uh, Irish band, actually, which is worth mentioning, would be Primordial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think if I'm not right, the members of the band may or may not make a living solely off of what they do being on metal blade records and stuff but like their music has matured a lot they started out as a black metal band in the early 90s they became more doomy they became more melodic and riff focused uh power chord riffs 
clean yeah. singing became more prominent. But there was a lot of integrity in that, in the way they did it, compared to other bands who compromised themselves. Uh, some of the lyrics in Primordial's content, even to an extent, uh, comes across as very apocalyptic, not in this silly, edgelord, misanthropic way, but in a very kind of historicist, Spenglerian way. <laughs> right, yeah, and, good. And uh, anybody who is literate, loves reading on history, loves reading philosophy, uh, if you were new to Primordial, if you wanted to get into metal, I'd highly recommend listening to albums such as uh, The Gathering Wilderness by them and then right. taking the lyrics apart because there's a, the, there's a lot a lot of diamonds in the rust to be found there, really. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that's good. So, so a great couple of, of examples and, like, yeah, keeping it keeping it alive and doing it in a traditional way. I, I do I do believe there's evolution within a traditional way. You just don't, you know, it's like, all, it's like my ranting about uh, traditional architecture or traditional uh, anything that's, anything that has the, 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 the fire of purity, let's say, <laughs> where mm -hmm. you can sense about it. I always explain it as like there's the, the raw the, the raw purity of a creativity that taps into the sort of eternal, um, say, archetypes. But that is, it always, it, this is why it can be so easily maligned sometimes, say, by the guys who get uh, cocked or um, whipped, is that it has, you have to kind of wear your heart on your sleeve with it, let's say. And it's, it can be, by people who only see things, the normie types who see things symbolically, it's very easily easy to mock and see it as, whenever they see something that is very genuine, um, it seems to strike them as over the top or dramatic, or they tend to cringe away from it until they get something they can get more used to over time or they're forced to socially to adapt to it. <laughs> so um, in that sense, it's, it's, that, it's got that purity to it, let's say. So you can talk about it as a sort of trad thing in, in it's the true inheritor of um it's more it's the most heavy metal and prog are the most truest inheritors of say classical music out of all the forms we have in modernity of which most are miserable and just like silly nothing like fluff uh you know what i mean but they are they are the true more true the complexity and the drama in the music oh absolutely 100 and yeah 120 percent uh oh uh if i mean if you were to listen to an album like close to the edge by yes or in the court, of the Crimson King by King Crimson. Oh, that's great. And you, you were to then, I don't know, bring up. Uh, I think we brought this up a while ago. You asked me, uh, can you name off the top of your head two heavy metal albums which you think are the best? I would say, Don't Break the Oath by Merciful Fate. And I'd say, Caught in the Act by Satan. If you were to put those two heavy metal albums next to the Yes and King Crimson ones I mentioned, they yeah. kind of run together very well in terms of how the albums are pieced together, how the themes run together, how the aesthetics run. They're, yeah. they're absolutely beautiful. They're absolutely essential listening. And uh, going back to what you mentioned about people who get into the whole, let's just say, the bro stuff or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, good. That's good. Then they, they they'll probably get into it because they think I want to hear something aggressive and hard and violent and nothing else. But 
they'll not get into stuff like death metal or black metal. Part they might see some things as gimmicky, but they'll also not be able to see past the pure anger of the music. They'll not be able to see that there's an area of high fantasy or the occult or the macabre or like things that really stimulate the imagination. Yeah. Whether that's through words or sound or tones, then I do believe that with a lot of uh, metal that emerged within the mainstream since the 1990s, then a lot of people are going to be lost on that kind of stuff. And if those people like something like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest, they only like it maybe because it has melodies that they can follow. They don't really get into it for any other reason. Yeah. They'd otherwise be people who would be into Steel Panther or Spinal Tap or these like silly parody metal bands or what, what whatever you want to call them. Yeah, Spinal Tap. I remember enjoying that when I was younger. I think we talked. We might have talked about this last time, but I remember when I, I oh, saw it again recently. Don't get I, me wrong; it's funny. <laughs> well, but I remember I saw it again recently, and it was very much obvious to me that it was propag- anti-metal propaganda, <laughs> and like truly, it wasn't just like a comedy, um, adoring like comedy. It was like let's mock these people to death kind of thing, and like very, uh, I really could see it. I, I and it's still enjoyable, but. Um, I, I, it's tainted for me now. I, I believe it's. I believe it's a real propaganda bit, um, which I and I formerly I did like it, but uh, yeah. Anyways, that's a digression, I guess. But um, what was I going to say about the bro stuff? Like, so what do you think? Do, do you is there any evidence to you of bro stuff still exists? I know people say, oh, well, but I like Biohazard and Pantera, and uh, you know, but they don't really exist. Is does it still exist as a in the same culty way it did before? And people like. I don't see, I've always I don't heard see. I've always heard of people mentioning bands like Five Finger Death Punch or this sort of stuff. I don't know who they are. I've probably heard bits of the music and I just knew from what I first heard I didn't want to listen to any more. It sounds like but, the same uh, name, yeah. It sounds like a stupid name from like that Tarantino movie or you know. It sounds like a it sounds dumb. At first but, uh, I, I also remember in the like last decade, you'd have bands like uh, Devil Driver, and I remember the guy who did Devil Driver did was in the new metal band Coal Chamber, and Devil Driver they kind of sounded a bit, they sounded like a new metal band that was appropriating melodic Swedish death metal, and trying to filter it out to an edgy, like teenage audience or people who are into music like Nightwish or something. What do you think of bands that were influenced by grunge? I do like some, uh, in fact, I did like, I like, I, I liked, I used to like Soundgarden and um, some of them, you know, it was, it was all right. Soundgarden was very Black Sabbath-y, some of it, but um, there's other ones that came later that were sort of, they called them stoner rock, but, and stuff like that. But there's some of those I kind of like, there's one, what's it called? Electric Wizard. They have some good songs, I think, but, what do you think of stuff like that? Do you, or does that strike you as? Uh, I don't mind some stuff by Electric Wizard. Uh, I I remember enjoying the album Dope Throne a lot when I was a teenager. Uh, also, going back to earlier stuff regarded as stoner rock, then I always remember as well, I was about 16, 17, really enjoying 
uh caius welcome to sky valley <laughs> right, and yeah. in and around the same time um the first two albums by queens of the uh, no sorry the second and third albums by queens of the stone age i forgot the second one but the right. third one songs for the deaf i think and, and they were okay for, for for stuff that broke the mainstream and really got into music charts they were quite good i really didn't find any reasons to have a complaint about those bands to be honest with you yeah. um, and but they were generally surrounded by a whole milieu of bands where like like limp biscuit like corn yeah it was it was kind of hipstery stuff in a way you have to it was like it was part partly the hipster stuff but they were still kind of okay let's say yeah uh, yeah I mean, there's all different ones. Orange Goblin, and there's like uh, Clutch, and all these ones. They were some of them. They they'd have some good songs, let's say, and I mean, they have some mm -hmm. shitty albums too. Like, like I guess like anybody, but they had a, they had their own kind of uh, what they call stoner ethos. They were just trying to get back. Supposedly, a lot of them were just trying to get back to Black Sabbath kind of thing. But I don't know how effective a lot of them were. But I do like some songs by some of them. I, I only mentioned Electric Wizard because I skipped over them and didn't really follow them or know anything about them. But I found an album and some songs I really like recently and i was like listening to it and i thought oh that's still pretty good that's pretty good and good like sort of classic horrific themes and stuff but uh, they didn't strike me as new metal with the, like screaming and the rapping and the <laughs> backwards hats and the fucking i think you know, if you if you look at a band like uh, electric wizard then not gonna dispute they they do have some quality about them but if you go back in time and you look at the things that they're singing about they obviously have a big preoccupation with certain obscure things obscure fantasy literature and obscure b movies and horror movies yeah. i always felt that that kind of archetype for what they were doing was best on i don't know if you're into any italian heavy metal from the yeah. 80s yeah yeah but yeah. i don't know if you know of black hole uh that's familiar uh black hole did a did a 1985 album it was their only album it's called uh land of mystery i think is this the and it's got a cover, is it has it got a cover with like some painting of like bats and stuff like that i, and, I forget uh, it's it's quite okay. a funny cover um but for any of those listening now if you look up land of mystery by black hole they look it up search engine it yeah um it's just very good doomy riffs and lots of weird occult synths in the style of, let's say, Goblin, who did yeah. the uh, lot of Dario Argento yeah. soundtracks. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, so they're 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 what's they're what's being imitated by Uncle Acid and Electric Wizard and all those guys is that kind of trashy seventies. Uh, horror, horror, Satanism, pornography, <laughs> stuff, <laughs> serial killers, and uh, whatever. Yeah, right. There's there's an Italian album. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember the name of it. And it was <laughs> the most amazing thing. And it was from the seventies. And it was like, um, kind of like a, kind of like a seventies or sixties Italian soundtrack with that. You know, you you know the type, uh, sort of um, Ennio Morricone kind of thing. You know, um strange strange sound effects and pseudo jazzy uh bossa nova uh flutes and uh drums and ex excellent sound quality and all this but it had as well this amazing like hard heavy guitar 
like beyond the usual kind of just dirty kind of 60s, 70s guitar, like it was definitely like a metal guitar and a very gothic-y horror theme. And um, I don't remember the name of it. And it was a unique, apparently it was a unique sort of creation of this guy. Uh, it might have been, a, it might have even been a movie soundtrack. I wish I could remember it. I knew it. I, I, I can't, I cannot though. But it was like, it, it was apparently a real precursor to all that type of thing. It might even, uh, it's not, it's not, it's, it's somehow it's related to what you're saying that they had something going on then that was. Well, or, I, I mean, we're going on about the subject of, um, let's say older, more traditional styles of heavy metal. And, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a band called Jacula. Uh, no. Jacula, or I think it's spelled J-A-C-U-L-A. They were an Italian band. They were around, I think, late 60s or maybe early to mid 70s. But they did this very weird soundtrack-oriented kind of... Uh, horror proto metal kind of stuff and i like i just mentioned the band's name there yeah spelt them out as well if anybody wants to look up jacula i'll be doing it but, I'll be doing it. but they ah, oh, what they had good. songs on one of their early albums i remember hearing one of them okay now it had no percussion on it, it had no drums but <laughs> For yeah, example, good. if you heard the riff progressions, I remember hearing it. It sounded mm -hmm. literally like if you somehow threw Uriah Heap and Celtic Frost together, that was what <laughs> it sounded like. Wow. Cool. Uh, if you're familiar with the music of Celtic Frost and how they did their riff progressions and how they crazy, played crazy. the riffs with the scales. Yeah, okay. Uh, I could be like always kind of okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't always adhering to the whole rule of a pentatonic scale. They were riffing like that. Yeah. Lots of like creepy, weird organs in the background. Kind of sounded like that. And uh, if you listen to some stuff by Jacula, then that's really, really, really ahead of its time stuff. I will be listening to that. Yeah. And speaking of Celtic Frost, that reminded me because I actually thought of them earlier when you were talking about Metallica. I always think of them with their weirdo, very early on sellout album where they went kind of glam. Uh, <laughs> went Cold from, Lake. Yeah, I, I, I've never heard the whole thing because it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> it was well, just Cold so Lake's really fucking. It's just it's funny. funny. It's really hilarious. It's just a, probably good. If you listen to it now, it's probably good compared to like a you know. It's basically no? the result of a band like Coroner having heard Motley Crue for the first time and saying, let's do an album. <laughs> and all of a sudden, yeah, have yeah, a band. He, even his, he even cut his hair all kind of like, he went from like, you know, uh, corpse paint and like like spike studs and like, you know, yep. to uh, oh, like, and then, like bands. Yeah, with them, and, like, all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden you have a band which is doing uh, songs with titles like Necromantical Screams or um, and then doing songs with titles like Juices Like Wine. <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, okay, so I, I saw an interview with him. So the reason for that one was apparently nothing more. So this is once again, the whipped, the whipped business. He had, he basically got a girlfriend and he went from being sort of lonely and aggro to being Mr. Happy Guy, according to him. 
this was maybe he's maybe that's bullshit. Maybe he was maybe took money to do it or something. But anyway, I, I believe it's it's a weird and cheesy an occurrence. But according to him, it's just that he got a girlfriend. He got a he had a girlfriend, and either she either she pressured him into being becoming glam, which is probably the case. I wouldn't say he just did it out of happiness, welling from within. So he probably got whipped and uh, nearly spoiled until he, obviously they they broke up and he tried to go back to where he was. <laughs> Well, I mean, Kelly Frost is, uh, I mean, they're an essential, interesting and fascinating band in terms of uh, their experiments, failed experiments, as we just brought up with Cold Lake. But um, they, I mean, obviously, for everybody who's familiar, they started out as Hellhammer. And after splitting up, they got together again as Celtic Frost. They always approached what they were doing with a quite experimental edge, even though they sound sound very barbaric and primitive. And that becomes clear on Morbid Tales. Mm-hmm. But by the time they did their second album, To Megatherion, and Brendan, you probably know this yourself, but... Uh, it's just maybe for the unfamiliar listener who doesn't know the work of Celtic Frost. After okay. that record, um, two, they did Two Mega Theory on in 1985. And I guess I'd love, I, I'm happy to kind of go on a ramble about Celtic Frost here because oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're worth it. It yeah. assesses kind of the integration of macabre occult ideas with high art. I mean, on the cover of Two Mega Theory on, you have, uh, artwork by H.R. Geiger. It's the one where he... It's Satan with a slingshot. I don't know the title of it. You you might do. I don't know. Oh, no, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know Geiger that well. I, he did a few. I know he did that. He did that. He did um, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. <laughs> you ever see that album he did? That's pretty good. On vinyl, it's quite impressive. It, uh, it folds out, like, in the middle. But this, uh, I, I don't want to distract you. Sorry. But, like, around the time they did To Megatherion, they had these very primitive, barbaric, monumental riffs. Uh, But then they were kind of subtly adding things like uh, French horns and timpanis. But they were doing it in a way that was really sincere, made the music more apocalyptic, more doomy, more monumental. And then they did an album in 1987, which was called into the pandemonium which was quite a bold experiment but it had a couple of flaws in it for example uh tom thomas gabriel fisher or tom g warrior the vocalist started experimenting with his vocals a bit more he was always known for this kind of kind of vocal with these death grunts but he would then be giving way to these weird like oh Oh, sounds. It's what you and it's clearly uh, rip taken off of the goth band uh, Christian Death, uh, oh, Ross Williams. Okay, all right. I don't know. And uh, if you ever listen to Only Theatre of Pain and C- Catastrophe Ballet by Christian Death, you'll clearly see it was Ross Williams' vocal style, which Tom G. Warrior took off on okay. Into the Pandemonium. And it's kind of a real mixed bag. But and there's also some disastrous attempts to cover new wave songs and Dean Martin songs on that album, which they don't work. 
They right. work quite badly. But yeah. when it comes to, let's just say, avant-garde orchestration, they do some things on some of the songs on Into the Pandemonium which are quite good. They succeed. And for any metal listener who, or any listener who's not yet into metal, wants to get into metal, they want to get more into underground metal or maybe black and death metal, uh, that album is a good pinpoint to see where underground metal went after that record. Because after right. that, you would have bands like Emperor and Master's oh. Hammer, who right. would really make a highly embellished, highly orchestrated take on underground metal. And it yeah. would really give listeners a sense that, oh, this is really romantic music. This is neoclassicist. <laughs> and uh, yeah. there would be some underground metal listeners who are familiar with albums like Emperor, like In the Night Side yeah. Eclipse, yeah. or who are familiar with albums by Masters Hammer, like uh, Ritual or the Gilem Nietzsche Occultist, Mm -hmm. I think, right, yeah, they obviously took what Celtic Frost were doing in between 85 to 87, and they decided to make the music a bit more extreme, but they embellished it more heavily and they made it more mature. And that's a bit of a ramble, I guess, but... Um, no, no, that's good. It's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know some of that info myself, for sure. I do remember Tom Warrior being interviewed on another some kind of interview thing I saw him, and he did explain to me, or he did explain to the audience, I thought, one of the best descriptions of why um, analog recording is better than digital. He's like, no, 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 I, he was strictly a sort of analog guy, which is great. It's another thing I've tried to talk about. I don't know how, many, how much people pay attention to such things, the difference between not only recording, but listening back as well. This is why true metal people, you know, collect vinyl and True music people, I should say. But he described it as, uh, what did he say? When he listened to a recording, he wanted to hear the air between the voice or the guitar and the microphone. And that's that's the, probably one of the weirdest, best ways to describe it. You can hear the air in between, and it's like everything's alive. Like The digital is like straight. You know, you don't even have to plug into the app. It's like guitar into the computer. So the, the life is lost. But he was, I always, I always think of him, I always think of that when I think of, analog digital recording tom warrior but uh that's besides the case but yeah we I, admittedly, I admittedly never listened to a lot of interviews or anything like that with him but i get what you're saying and uh i mean if you listen to a lot of contemporary music recordings metal or otherwise now then it is obviously it's become more of a rule of thumb that people recording digital because it's easier it's simpler it's more convenient, but and to an extent with digital now, you can even create the impression or the illusion that one is recording in analog, but the the, the freshness, the the the, the, the true life, it really yeah, yeah. isn't there. But no. like on a generic digital recording, which is probably done on something like Pro Tools, it feels as if everything has been completely compressed together it feels yeah. like there's no real space between stuff yeah, and it feels hear, like fundamental aesthetic and atmosphere is otherwise being subtracted or it's missing and uh yeah like for any bands that do or they can afford the means to go and record analog that's always a good thing that really 
it's obviously if you're listening to music and you're analyzing it, you're wanting to critically uh, give it a certain mark, then uh, I don't always believe that the aesthetic should be the sole dictator of what makes the music good, but it will make a hell of a lot of a big impression as to whether the listener makes it their mind up as to whether it's more sincere or not. Right. So let's, um, we're doing an hour or more now. So I just want to finish with, I want to ask you, and this may be a surprise question. You can say whatever you like, because I don't know if you have any theories about it, but like, so for the modern trad meddler, the Atlantean codex or otherwise, what would you say might be a way for them to, is there any way in the way things are in the modern world to, for them to rise above and say for the true metalers that are still out there that I see still now and then here and there, I still come across them to sort of band together and support something and make it, make another superstar band. Like a, you know what I mean? Is there, is there a way in this paradigm of internets and Patreons and things? Well, that's a funny question. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'm trying to give you a very sincere answer. Okay. First of all, no. <laughs> I don't know if that can happen with all of these lockdowns. Um, the likelihood hmm. of such a thing happening is going to be more and more in the blue or the gray, more and more well, unlikely. Let's assume that, first of all. But whether it does or not, let's let's pretend lockdown is over and we're back into some semi, only only a partially slowly dying world. <laughs> mm, no, uh, I just, I I really don't think that any sincere people who are sincerely into metal should give a damn about wanting to make it big or anything like that. I okay. think. In a world like this, uh, a very strange world, the best way to pull through is keep doing what you do. Be integral to your ideas. Don't right. compromise them for the sake of a material gain. Right. And right. be honorable. Yeah. yeah. Right. So right. the same as before. So they only incidentally got became Superman before anyway, so I shouldn't even be uh, worrying about that. That's true, yeah. I, I suppose I just want to promote or see the trad meddlers, <laughs> you know, ascend somehow again, or at least find more space for themselves. But maybe it's fine the way it is. You know, if they, and you have to do it out of love anyway. So I assume you won't be. I, I, I recently saw something, uh, Brendan, and uh, it was a highlight from. The Late Late Show, you're probably familiar with it, as I am. It's terrible. From, it? Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> uh, and it always has been, probably. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it, uh, it was a clip from the late 70s. And Gay Byrne is interviewing four people from alternative subcultures. One is a punk, one is a goth, one is a mod. And another one, I don't know, he had some stupid haircut. But uh, I looked at this. This interview was from 1979, and whatever, each of the people in their own way were into what they were into because 
They wanted to be look different and they wanted to stand up for being different and all this kind of stuff, which I don't mm -hmm. really think means anything, to be honest with you. But I looked at that interview and I thought, that's from 1979. Yeah. Those people back in their day probably got a shit ton of funny looks in the street dressing mm -hmm. how they dressed. They maybe got some verbal abuse for what they did and they maybe got into a ton of fights or they got the crap kicked out of them but what i also thought on for that was like uh whilst the host gay burn was interviewing them in this well what do your parents think about that kind of way mm -hmm. i kind of brought I, I was watching it and thought of today and i thought all of these like like young women who dress like in ripped stockings or they dress with some pentagram pendants or they try to look all spooky and witchy, how conformist they ultimately look. And it, it, it spoke a lot to me about how a, quite a lot of culture that we think to be alternative and what a lot of idiots today call alternative think is rebellious or against the grain, but it is now so co-opted that there's no real point trying to say it's actually different even though people think it is just because it's got another appearance. This is why, going back to the question you just asked me, how can under, how can metalheads or sincere ones do something that's sincere and prevails and has integrity? And I would just say, stick to the underground, stick to your values, stick to the values which you think makes the music that you love good, if you make music, if you rehearse together, if you share recordings together, stick to those ideas, stick to those values. Do not bend the knee. Do not acquiesce to the demands of people who wish to water it down and make it another product. That's all I can say. Yeah, that's good. It's a perfect answer. It is the perfect answer. It encapsulates the whole perfect mindset, and it is the perfect answer. So... Well done. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't expect that. I didn't even think of it that way. I mean, I, I do always think of it that way. But myself, I'm so being older. I guess maybe too. I don't know if that's the reason. I don't even think of it as in terms of rebellion and looking a certain way to stand out or anything like that. I just think of. Um, of course, it's about what you love. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's good. That's great. Well, we'll end it there, I think, because that's good, and uh, you know, we could probably carry on for a while. But I know we've. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got it summarized at least so true metal is indestructible and uh it'll be it'll be around going into the future well when other things have faded away completely you'll find a strong root underground to grasp and a flower will emerge <laughs> well into the future i think um it's one of those things that can you can get away with well i won't say that get away with in the same way you say you can't you can't go out in pantaloons and look like Sebastian Bach so much uh, today. You can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't at least. Uh, what am I, Sebastian Bach? What am I talking about? That's the fucking guy from Skid Row, isn't it? I mean, I meant Johann Sebastian Bach. No, okay, sorry. Which one, Skid Row guy? Did he call himself Sebastian? What was his name? I think he just called himself Sebastian Bach. Right. Sorry. So I meant. I meant yeah. Johann Sebastian Bach. I meant yeah. <laughs> the real Bach. <laughs> God, I don't forget the glam. A glam is nothing. So that was a confusing thing. Sorry, I meant Johann Sebastian. So in the same way that you can't go around dressed as a, you know, a Mozart or whatever, you can at least be a metal person. 
And it's a good way, it's a good barbaric way of thinking about the world as well, to be in tune with the way you probably have to navigate the modern world. Yeah, unless you want to be like a corporate person and just like a whipped fool and uh, you everything is shit. <laughs> and you know, you can be like that if you want. But, uh, yeah, it's a good alternative thing. So, uh, yes, despite the bro stuff being crap, the message is still integrity. But the integrity is maybe not what you, you should be open and willing to embrace the the, the stuff that you might the true stuff might seem sometimes cheesy like like we said before not cheesy but it's it'll be very honest it won't be the it won't be the stuff that you think is necessarily symbolically the most hardcore or this and that but anyway anyway i don't, I don't have to say that because anybody knows understands knows knows what the real stuff is so i mean that's i'm, I'm truly rambling now so let's put an end to it so well done okay, uh, okay. john and uh we'll talk to you again and we'll think of another metal subject later on yeah absolutely, absolutely. we'll be talking to you yeah great talking so goodbye take care